prioritizing work above everything else in your life, canceling plans, not exercising, not getting enough sleep, not socializing, not being with your family. These are deal breakers for most people, but not for lawyers. It is possible to have a great career without burning out or selling out, but it is up to us because the profession doesn't support it right now. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Answering Legal's Everything Except the Law podcast. I am your host, Nick Worker. If this is your first time tuning in, this is the podcast where we share expert advice on all the parts of running a law firm that attorneys weren't exactly trained for back in law school. Now, our guest today is a former lawyer of 25 years who currently serves as a business and career coach for attorneys. She's also written a new book called Winning in Your Own Court, 10 Laws, for a successful career without burning out or selling out, which we are very excited to dive into in today's episode. Dina Lefkowitz joins me now. Dina, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Nick. Uh, so I just want to jump into it. Can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and your experience working with lawyers over the over over the years? Yes, sure. First, I have a question for you. Sure. How many, how many people do you know who went to medical school because they couldn't figure out what to do after they graduated from college. A lot and nursing school. And then they become a nurse for like two years and they say, I don't want to be a nurse anymore and, and a quick career change. But I do actually know a lot who went to medical school just because. And they hadn't been pre-med before that? I have a mix. They will go into sciences of some sort and uh, or like engineering actually, and then try to go to medical school. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of hedging your bets in the college years because none of us know what to do. Right. And I graduated from college and I started looking for a job and I couldn't find one that would pay enough for me to move out of my college apartment and get a car. So I looked at this problem and I thought, okay, I obviously don't have enough education to get myself a good job because I wasn't really thinking about a career. I was thinking about a job. So I kicked the decision can down the road by about three years by entering law school. Why did I go to law school? It was a career I had heard of and I didn't think I could be a doctor. So I went to law school. I had absolutely no data on what it would be like to be a lawyer, what the actual job was. I had been told my whole life, oh, you would make a good lawyer. You're smart, you're articulate, you know how to win an argument, so maybe you should be a lawyer. And I joined the ranks of literally thousands of people who choose the law as a default career. And it's a tough career to be in if you chose it by default, if you don't have a driving vision that you want to accomplish once you have that law degree. Like I met a woman in law school who had worked in an immigration firm and she was so passionate about doing immigration. That was what she was going to do when she graduated. And I looked at her and I thought, wow, she really knows what she wants to do with this law degree. I don't. So I bobbed along. Once you join law school, they kind of tell you what to do. So on-campus interviewing happens, so you do that. Somebody gives you a summer job, so you take that. 
And I literally slept walked my way through the entire thing without ever thinking, what do I like doing? So I joined a litigation firm and I spent about 13 years doing litigation and I was miserable for almost the entire time because I don't really like sending food back in restaurants. <laughs> I don't really like having arguments and confrontations. And yet I raised my hand and volunteered to take a job in a litigation firm where that was all I did all day. I was embroiled in conflict. So this is where I started to form my ideas about the laws that you don't learn in law school because I was floundering, Nick. There was no career services department. There was no guidance counselor. There were no mentors. I had no idea how to get out of this situation that I was so miserable in. I would literally cry on Sunday nights at the idea of having to go back into work and, and fight with people all day. So I, I finally, re and I would send out, I would send out resumes looking for jobs that sounded good, but I wouldn't get interviews and I didn't know why. So I finally hired a career coach or counselor and he helped me identify what the, what the misery was all about because I changed jobs a few times thinking maybe it's the firm. Maybe that's the problem. So I was diagnosing very incorrectly. And this coach took me through a values assessment and it really showed me why I was so miserable in the private practice of law because my job was all about billing time, making money, and my values weren't really aligned with that. I wasn't high in the areas of commerce or, you know, I'm not the type of person who reads the stock market financial news. I, I'm just not wired that way. I wish I were. I wish I cared about money more than I do. But I realized that I was, I was not a good fit because I was working in private practice where it was all about making money and status symbols, the kind of car you drove, the kind of home you had the kind of second home you had. And none of that stuff really mattered to me. I became a lawyer because I wanted to make money, but not to be rich. I didn't care about being rich. So this coach helped me realize that my values were lying in a different direction. And he helped me successfully pivot to a job in the public sector. I became assistant general counsel to the school district of Philadelphia. And that change changed my life. I took a big pay cut, but I bought my life back because I was no longer responsible for bringing in business and, and working 12 hours a day and, and having to worry about many of the things that you have to worry about in private practice. I didn't have to worry about marketing, networking, all of those things. I could focus fully on being a really good lawyer for my client who I lived with. So. Being in-house worked really well for me. I loved working with academics. I just, I loved the whole thing. And that led to a position as general counsel to another school district. And my final, uh, my final role in the law was as chief counsel to the Office of Open Records in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And that's a government position in a brand new government office. But when I hit 20 years as a lawyer, I thought, I can't do another 20. Even in government work, being a lawyer is a hard job. It's, 
you're, you're dealing with the weight of people's problems every single day. Even if you're not litigating, you're still dealing with very difficult things. People are relying on you. I remember one time when I was, uh, when I was general counsel to a school district and we had a, a violent incident and we all got into a huddle and everyone looked at me like I was supposed to know what to do. The head of security was there, the, the head of school police was there, and they were all looking at me like it was a legal problem. So those are the kinds of things that, and, that you go home thinking about, you know, the, the difficult problems that you're dealing with when, you, when you're working as a lawyer. So I hit 20 years and I thought, I really would like to keep working for at least another 20, and I don't want to keep doing this. So I started an inquiry process. What what am I good at? What do I like? What lights me up? What puts me in flow? What makes me lose time? What do other people say I'm good at? And a complete stranger said to me one day, I think you would make a great life coach. And I said, what's that? <laughs> I didn't even know what it was. And I looked into it because I was in this inquiring phase where I was really paying attention. And I remembered that a lawyer I worked with had a wife who was a life coach. So I contacted him and contacted her and she invited me to her office. And I went there for what I call an informational interview. And this is a really important thing that people thinking about making a career transition or transformation should think about doing. I never collected any data before I became a lawyer, never spent one day in a law firm, never spent one hour talking to a lawyer, never knew any lawyers. So how, I didn't know what I was getting into at all. So this time I was going to do it differently. So I, I set up an informational interview with this woman. I spent hours with her. And when I left, I knew this was going to be my, my road. And I, I had always been the person in my jobs, my legal jobs that people came to for advice. I had helped people find other jobs. I had helped them navigate difficult situations. So I liked the idea of being not a life coach per se, but being a coach who could help lawyers with their careers and maybe help them avoid some of the misery and unhappiness that I had encountered when I found myself in a job I didn't like, in a role I didn't like, working with people I didn't like, and had no idea how to get out of it. And so I went back to school to become a coach. I started training. I got certified. And ever since I've been working with lawyers, there was a period where I was working full time as a lawyer and coaching in my spare time so that I could get certified. You needed 100 hours of coaching in order to get certified. So this is how I knew. This was the light bulb moment that I knew I was on the right track. As I mentioned, being a lawyer is hard. It's hard work. You come home really tired. And I was coaching part-time. So I came home, I had dinner with my husband, and then I went into a little office and I had some coaching calls. And when I came out, he would sometimes say to me, you're beaming. I never beamed from practicing law. Maybe once in a while, I had some, you know, few, a few shining moments, but it didn't give me the sense of fulfillment and purpose and meaning that helping people figure out their life problems has given me. 
And that's what I've been doing full time. I, I quit my day job in 2014. I got to the point where I had enough clients, enough confidence, and I was going to have to start saying no to work if I didn't quit my day job. So I haven't practiced law since 2014, and I've been coaching lawyers ever since. Such an amazing story. Um, I just want to clarify that I was not laughing at your misery. I was identifying <laughs> um, because so I, I never, when I went to college, um, my parents wanted me to become like, uh, first my mom wanted me to be a politician. So I went to school for international politics. I don't care about politics. I hate politics. And so I said, I don't want to do politics. I want to do, I don't even remember what I did next. I had so many majors and I would just take, like I tried to switch to the business school so that I could get a job in business and they weren't accepting transfers internally. And I was, I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, so I became an economics major and yeah, I was good at economics, but it's just math and I hate math. I don't want numbers. And, uh, so I left that school, I went home and, uh, the people who own this company, the family who owns this company saved my life because I was going part-time to uh, school and working on the side so that I would just have money. I was working at a pizzeria and I had just had, uh, I had a verbal fight with the guy who was running the pizzeria. We were shouting at each other uh, because he, I think he called me a loser, something like that. This is like 10 years ago. And in walks one of my best friend's moms. And she's like, oh my goodness, it's so good to see you. How are you doing? Cause she knew that I left school. And I said, I'm not doing so good. I was working at this pizzeria with this guy that we didn't get along. And, uh, and I didn't know what I wanted to do in my life. And she said, why don't you just come work for me and we'll figure something out. And, uh, and she fulfilled that promise. You know, I've, I've done odds and ends jobs here. And I fell into this role and now uh, I work as hard as I can to, to repay that favor that they, they did for me. But I very much identify with like struggling in, in the sense that I don't, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, and, and none of the stuff that I was doing gave me that, that sense of satisfaction or pride or that I was accomplishing anything. You know, I was just drifting through doing what other people told me I should be doing. So I, I just want to say that I was very much identifying with that. Thank you. And that, that is, that is a really common thing. Whenever a new person calls to inquire about coaching, I always ask, why did you go to law school? And the answers are very often, I didn't know what else to do. My parents wanted me to do it. I mean, I'm curious, why did your mom want you to be an international politician of all things? Uh, so I was a smart kid. I went to, there's a, there's a program for smart children called CTY. It's run by Johns Hopkins. And you go to these like summer camps on college campuses and you take, I swear, class for seven and a half hours a day, uh, which is insane to do to a child. <laughs> In the summer. <laughs> in the summer. And uh, and one of the courses that I took was international politics. And that was when I was probably, I think I was like 16. I wasn't driving yet, but I was old enough to have a cognizant thought of, I don't want to be here. Um, and uh, I guess I was good at it. And, and, uh, and Binghamton had an international politics program that I got accepted to. 
And so everybody was like, you're just going to go do this. You're a smart kid. You should do this and make a lot of money. You also mentioned that you hated math. And so many of us don't think about what we like and don't like when we're choosing careers. Like I said, I don't like sending food back in restaurants. And yet I entered a profession that's all about acrimony. Realizing your fit is so, so big a part of this. Values, motives, preferences, what you hate and what you like are a huge part of picking a career. And yet something in us pushes that aside and says, you can tolerate anything if it pays enough. But that's not true. We can't. So true. Uh, so I, I want to talk about your book because I think I think the book is super important. Um, it's called Winning in Your Own Court. What's What's the book about? I obviously, I, I sort of understand your inspiration to write it, but can you tell me from like inspiration to execution and, and why people should read it? Sure. The book is about how to have a good career in the law despite the profession. There's an epidemic of misery in the legal profession. And I know you know about it, Nick, because I listened to the interview that you did with, uh, the name is, is escaping me, but someone from I Will and the uh, Institute for Lawyer Wellbeing. Mm -hmm. And that arose as a result of a 2016 ABA report about the levels of misery in the legal profession alcoholism, drug abuse, workaholism, all of these things are, are happening in the law at way greater numbers than in the general population. And, and that guest fortunately gave you all the information about that so I don't have to. Um, and I had suffered my own misery that I felt was somewhat inflicted by the profession, by the laws that I never knew were in operation the whole time I was doing it. So I graduated from law school and I had no idea where clients came from. I'm like a baby, a child. Where do babies come from? I don't know. You know, I, I thought they magically appeared. I didn't realize client acquisition was a thing. And there's no mention of, of the business of law in law school. There's no mention of, of even, even if you wanted to tie everything into legal education, the rules of professional conduct require lawyers to communicate with the client, to maintain the integrity of the profession, to maintain the client's confidence in the legal and the justice system. Well, how are you going to do that if you don't have any personal skills? How are you going to do that if you don't know how to have a crucial conversation? You know, so and, and I, I was just taking a look at some of the areas that you've covered on your show. PR, well-being, branding, culture, technology, marketing, time management, productivity. No, none of that stuff is covered in law school. You only learn the law for three years. And in my opinion, that's ridiculous. They're not preparing people for the reality of, the, of what they're going to be encountering out there. And they're also not preparing them for what if that first job you take isn't the right one? Everything in law school is sort of tilted toward that first job. Well, what if it doesn't work out? What then? So I had to learn a lot of these laws the hard way, the school of hard knocks. And I coach lawyers in these areas, soft skills, executive presence, productivity. And 
and I do a lot of public speaking to support my coaching business. I, I do speeches. And when the pandemic hit, everything shut down and I was alone in my house with my thoughts. And I still had things to say. And I thought, well, what use can I put my time to during this pandemic that will leave me with an, an outlet and also something to talk about afterwards? So the idea of writing a book had always been suggested to me by other people. It wasn't something I had been thinking about. But being in that situation is what inspired it. And I, I knew that the American Bar Association published about 100 books a year, and they had a proposal right on their website that you could download and, and work with. I hired a book coach. We, we worked on a proposal. I submitted it. They accepted it. <laughs> and my book came out in, on September 1st of 2022. I'm so inspired by all of this. It, it makes me so... Uh... It makes me want to write a book, but I, so I don't want to talk about me. I, I want to talk about because I, the, the guest just before this, the episode has not come out yet is, um, he's an editor for above the law. And what we spoke about was he also went to law school and he says that law school, same as you, doesn't really do a good job of preparing lawyers for what their work actually will be when they graduate law school. Sure, you will have a fundamental understanding of laws, but not even like a, you're not even prepared for the, the way that you're supposed to critical think about how to change the law if you're trying to change the law. So one thing that I know your book covers is how to unbreak bad habits that are learned in law schools and reinforced in the workplace. Yeah. So what are, what are some of the biggest bad habits that attorneys need to break out of that, that are being reinforced? Always being available, saying yes, no matter what your capacity is. Workaholism is, is the number one thing that I see lawyers struggling with in my practice. I, you know, I, I don't see a lot of, I wouldn't be the person someone would come to for a drug or an alcohol problem, sure. but I do have people coming to me who say, I'm working all the time. I can't get ahead. I, I don't have time for anything else in life. And I want to figure out a way out of this. So one of the things that I would, that I would say is, have you ever heard the expression, don't drink the Kool-Aid? People use that expression in very loosely. And it's actually a really serious, it came out of a really serious thing. Yes, it did. Uh, 900 people willingly walked to their death because they were following a charismatic cult leader. And I would say <laughs> that many lawyers are liter literally marching to their own deaths in the way that they are living their lives because of the attitudes that are so prevalent in the legal profession. So my advice would be to pay attention to the five spheres of well-being, to, to invest time every day in your own personal well-being, physical, emotional, spiritual, the other two. <laughs> but these are, these are the, the foundational aspects of life. 
and we can't ignore them just because we're lawyers. And the, the profession has to change too, Nick. One of the biggest problems I faced as a litigator was the judiciary. I got called to trial the day after Thanksgiving. I got called to trial the day after New Year's. And guess what? It ruined those holidays for me. And I had many times when I was scheduled to go on a vacation or to do something when a judge went, nope, you're coming to court. And having no autonomy, no ability to, to plan for your, for your life, your schedule, not knowing if you can buy theater tickets and actually go to the performance. Those are, those are huge, huge areas of dissatisfaction in the law. So there's the, so always being available is probably the biggest problem. And if you were having a baby and your OBGYN was on vacation, do you think she'd fly back for the birth of your baby? The answer is no, there would be another doctor on call and that's who would deliver your baby. If you needed to see a psychiatrist in August and your, and your person was on vacation, they're not going to come off vacation for you. That's not how it works in the medical field, but it does in the law. Lawyers will call you back from their vacations. And so they don't really take vacations. They go places where they continue to do work. So these are some of the behaviors that lawyers need to stop doing. And, and I would say it starts in law school. You start, when I went to law school, the amount of work was more than any human being could do. That's why they tell you to get into study groups because you're gonna have to offload some of your work to other people so that you can keep up with what's going on in the classes. So I, when I was in law school, I was in the library at 6 a.m. and I went to bed at 11, at 11 p.m. There were classes in between, I studied, but I was at it from 6 a.m. until 11 p.m. And then the professors prepare you for the law partners because they also expect you to work that way. And so there's this workaholism that is baked into the practice of law that everybody just takes for granted. And it's so baked in. Clients tell me things like, I feel guilty when I'm not working. When I left private practice, my first job was at the school district of Philadelphia. And I was told that the hours were 8.30 to 4.45. I couldn't believe it. I went there for my first day. It was actually true. I saw lawyers leaving the building at five o'clock. I left the building at five o'clock. It was light out. I couldn't believe it. And I, I thought, this can't be right. Somebody's going to say, why, why aren't you here? Because FaceTime is an enormous component of working in private practice. They want to see your face behind your desk for at least as many hours as they're there but preferably more. Prioritizing work above everything else in your life, canceling plans, not exercising, not getting enough sleep, not socializing, not being with your family. These are deal breakers for most people, but not for lawyers. It's a badge of honor. We will be right back after this short ad. 
who doesn't want to be a successful attorney with a busy practice but still have that life? Having those lunch breaks, playing golf, going on vacation, answering legal allows you to. I really just don't have a need for a receptionist anymore. I've used answering legal services for the past two years and I wish I retained answering legal 10 years earlier. Answering Legal is an extension of my firm. It allows lawyers and paralegals to actually work without answering the phone. Anytime I leave this office, I know my business is still running. Sometimes we're in court or we're dealing with other clients, and because of Answering Legal, my partner and I are able to address any client concerns or any new clients immediately, and it's really increased our business. If you wish to enhance your client base, improve your client satisfaction, and at the same time, reduce your overhead, then hire Answering Legal. I remember coming to work one day when I was a young lawyer. One of the partners had a cold and he was sitting at his desk and he had all these products arranged around him, you know, Robitussin, cough medicine, aspirin, orange juice, you know, just like in a big semicircle around him. And I looked at him and I thought, why are you here? Why are you here? But his question for me, if I had called in sick, would have been, why aren't you here? We were expected to work sick, we were expected to work no matter what, on holidays, all the time. So that is one of the reasons I wrote my book, because it is possible to have a great career without burning out or selling out. But it is up to us, because the profession doesn't support it right now. You reminded me that... Uh because you said how many people go to medical school and then they don't like it. I have a cousin who just, we used to be close. I, I, he went to law school, became a lawyer, and I think he did, I don't know how old we're getting now. He must've done at least 10 years in the law and he just, he quit. And everybody in our, in our family was like, it was such a good job. How could you quit? And his, his health was in jeopardy. Um, he lost all his hair and, uh, now he, I think he works on like a campaign and he loves it. He like works and it, I, I haven't spoken to him about it at length because I think it's still a, a sensitive topic, but uh, you, you reminded me that like not everybody wants to do that for their whole entire life. Yeah. And uh, so I want to ask you, because I want to spotlight one of the, the, the laws in your book that I think is, is particularly relevant to this audience. Um, and it's a good one to start with, which is not doubling down on past decisions, right? Law number three, don't double down on past decisions. Can you explain what this law is about and why yes. it's such an important lesson? Yeah, this is actually one of my favorite things to talk about. I stole it from economics. It's actually the, the fallacy of sunk costs. And we engage in sunk cost thinking all over our lives, not just in our jobs. Many people have a friend that they've had for a long time but don't really like anymore. Why do we continue to spend time with that friend? Because we've invested so much. We do it with relationships, marriages. 
and we do it with our professions. So very often a person will come to me for coaching, wanting to leave the law or leave their firm or make some kind of change. And the big thing that's stopping them from doing it is, but I've already invested so much in the training, the preparation, the experience, you know? And what difference does it make if you're freaking miserable? And one of the things people don't understand is the difference between an investment and, a, and an expenditure. Like if you're, if you're on a diet and you eat something that you shouldn't, like let's say you have a potato chip, you're probably gonna eat the whole bag because that's the way we're built. You know, I already blew it, so I might as well. <laughs> that is sunk cost thinking. That is doubling down on past decisions. Every potato chip is a new choice that you can make to either eat or not eat. So I find very often people need permission to leave the law because of this idea of investment. But really, it's not an investment because investments don't work that way. If I make an investment, it grows, it doesn't grow, but I don't have to keep putting in if if that's the rule, if that's what's going on, I think you have a job, not an investment. And if it's a job, you're free to leave at any time and do something else. And the, the number of years you spent doing what you were doing were not an investment. They were an expenditure. And how do you know that? Because you have to keep working to keep making money. <laughs> so that's not an investment. Now I understand you, you, grow to a level of prominence or competence and, and you feel that that was the investment. But that doesn't go away. I'm a coach for lawyers now. When I first left the profession of law, all the same things that you just mentioned happened. How can you do that? It's such a great profession. It pays so well. All that was true. I mean, if you make a change, you will be facing naysayers. You will be facing people who think you're making a big mistake. But if the original choice that you made isn't working for you anymore, then you're continuing every single day to make that choice all over again. And it's not leading you in a direction that you want to go. So it's a past decision. You spent time doing it. It's going to help you in the future in some way. You just don't know how. Having been a lawyer helps me every day in what I'm doing now. And I love what I'm doing now. So it wasn't a waste of time. I didn't blow my investment, but I would also say it really wasn't an investment. And every time you're thinking about whether to stay or whether to go, and you start going down the investment road, I would suggest querying yourself about that. Is it an investment? Is it paying off in any way on a regular basis? What am I getting out of it now? Do I have to keep putting in in order to get more? I want to clarify that my, my parents are very good people. Very good people. <laughs> I believe you. Oh, but because you so, seem like a nice person and you know, thank you very that much. That doesn't happen by accident. Yes. My mother is a great, great, great woman. And uh, one of the things that she always told me about she just wanted me to be successful. That was like her thing. Um, but she would always tell me like, 
the average profession or the average career in the United States lasts for seven years, right? You do for seven years and then quit and go do something else. And she always highlighted that with me. If you don't like it, you, you're not stuck. You can make a change. You can, you can work toward a goal on the side, which I think is just, we do this sunk cost fallacy with everything. I love the idea that you have the friend that you don't like, that you continue to, that maybe that friend is really mean to you, right? Why am I still friends with this person who just comes over, he eats all my food, he drinks all my beer and, and, and he, and makes a mess and I hate him. Why do I do? Because I've invested time into him. And it's, we, I, I highlight this. I don't owe anybody anything, right? Nobody is owed any, nobody owes me anything. I don't owe them anything. So if I need to make a change for myself in order to be happy, I've got one life and one shot at this. Um, it, I choose to be happy. I would prefer to be happy. I want to move on to another topic because this is, this is a topic that I think is one of my favorites on the show and it's mindset, right? I think, I think the way that you approach things um, can have such it can make such a difference in the outcome. Um, and, and coincidentally, the fifth law in your book is mind your mindset. So what is some of the best advice that you have for lawyers when it comes to managing their mindsets? Well, what we believe drives what we do, right? There's a great Henry Ford quote, whether you think you can or whether you think you can't, you're right. So, when I was a young lawyer, every time an assignment landed on my desk, I would go, huh? what if I can't do it? And it was such a destructive mindset because I literally paralyzed myself for a little while with the, huh? what if I can't do it? So I taught myself to say, so one of the, one of the things you have to do with a mindset is interrogate it. Now, are the things I'm thinking actually true or are they just old beliefs that my parents put in or I saw somewhere and I've just been believing it for a long time? And one of the reasons I like working with lawyers is that we are very good interrogators, right? So, so I would interrogate that thought and, and I taught myself to say, every assignment you've ever gotten, you've figured out how to do. Why would this be any different? And if it is, there are people you can go to who can help you with this. Mm -hmm. So law is a traditional field full of people with very traditional beliefs. And we find a lot of this is all, this is the way we've always done it happening. One of the things that was going on when I was a young lawyer was FaceTime. Partners were not happy if they didn't see you behind your desk for five to seven days a week, <laughs> FaceTime. And, and they didn't trust that you could do the work at home. They would literally say things like, if you're not here, how do, you, how do we know you're working? And I would think, well, I am here. How do you know I'm working? <laughs> <laughs> you know? So that was a mindset. And when, when the pandemic hit, a lot of firms thought, we, a lot of firms were still in that mindset. Five days a week, FaceTime. How do we know you're not working? How do you know, how do we know you're working? And the pandemic came and they were forced to reckon 
with the fact that people can work remotely, that the law is actually a very portable field. Most of the work can be done from anywhere, except if you're on trial. So that was a complete mindset shift. And it came from questioning the original belief. Is it possible to do this work from anywhere other than this law firm, you know? So question longstanding beliefs, interrogate those beliefs, and then replace them with better productive thoughts, like maybe my law firm can exist with a remote or hybrid workforce. Maybe we can figure out other alternatives to the way we've always done it. Uh, that's the most expensive phrase in business. That's the way we've always done it. Um, and so law number six in your book is hone your soft skills. So what are soft skills? Um, and, and why is it so important for lawyers to, to have these? Soft skills are non-technical skills that affect your performance in the workplace. And I'll tell you by giving you an example, an embarrassing example. Don't judge me. Oh yeah. I'm going to judge you. When I was a young lawyer, I made a client cry once. And the situation was I was handling this very big case. She was just one of, of 20 clients that we had in this case. And we had just gotten assigned a judge. And this client happened to be a lawyer herself. And she called to talk to me about what she thought about the judge we had been assigned. And I had already talked about it with my partner and we had a point of view on the judge. So when this client started talking, I basically gave her the verbal version of stop, stop sign. I, 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 I steamrolled over her with my opinions and our position and what we thought. And she kind of went, well, uh, 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 and started crying and hung up. And I sat there trying to figure out what to do. <laughs> and, and this is the worst part. <clears throat> she called me back to apologize. Now, I should have been the one apologizing for violating her respect, for not listening to her, for interrupting, for all, all, all of the behaviors that I demonstrated during that phone call. Those are soft skills. Those are things I hadn't been taught. And I was a young, scared attorney who thought that being aggressive was the way to power through any uncomfortable situation that I was in. So that's an example of how knowing the law, knowing our position, you know, knowing the situation backwards and forwards didn't help manage a client who needed me. And by the way, who could have fired me for what I did. That was a big wake up call for me in terms of how to manage myself, which is a lot of what soft skills are about. Self-awareness, self-management, self-control, being able to read the room, empathizing with others. The things that make you a, a trusted advisor and not just a lawyer. I, I want to jump ahead to law number 10 in your book, because I think this, I think if you take care of yourself, um, 
you might be interested in honing your soft skills. Because I, I think that people who are not happy aren't necessarily worried about how they come off to others. But law number 10 is tend to your well-being. And I want to ask you what some of the things, what are some of the things that lawyers can do to better tend to their own well-being? Well, it's, it's, it's what I was saying before, to block time off in your life for the things that contribute to well-being. The, the ABA and its report on well-being identified five spheres, physical, emotional, social, spiritual, and intellectual. I work with a lot of lawyers that don't have any what they call me time. So, for example, I was working with a guy who, who was workaholic, you know, working constantly. And some of the things that he said he wanted when he came to coaching were to be more productive so that he could find time to do the thing, some of the things that he wanted. And one of those things was playing the guitar. He hadn't picked up his guitar in years because he was so busy practicing law, being a dad, and doing all the things that were required of him to the point where he felt like there was no him left. There were, there were no solitary pursuits. There were no personal passion projects. There was, there was just work and work and work. So I felt a huge, um, I have felt huge pride when he called me for a coaching session and I asked him how the week had gone and he told me that he had been playing the guitar for the first time in years and felt really good about it. And those little things make all the difference in our lives. Spending time with a friend, confiding a problem that you're having in someone who cares, going to a movie, spending the day on the beach. I mean, these are actual goals that clients of mine set for themselves because they've gotten so far into the habit of workaholism that they need little steps to bring them out of it. Just picking up the guitar was like a gateway drug for that client because once he did that, he realized how much he had given up and that it was his agency. He has the power to take his life back. And that's what I would say is if your firm or your organization doesn't allow for your well-being, take it anyway and find another job. So I love what I do so much for a very similar reason to you is that what this service provides is for smaller firms um, and for solo lawyers, it gives them back their time. Now you can do whatever you want with that time. We don't right? like th they would have to go to someone like you in order to figure out what they want to do with that time. But you don't have to answer every single phone call. Um, you don't have to be available 24-7. We provide that. So I've been working on these customer testimonial videos. And the original idea for them was we wanted them to be long, but then like no one wants to watch a long video on an advertisement. They want to hit skip. So we boiled it down to um, three things, right? How, the, how we can affect your bottom line, help you make more money how we can save you time and help you be more productive in your workday. And then the human element, what can you do now that you wanted to do and couldn't do before? 
And we had this interview with uh, Laura Pfeiffer Battleoro. I love Laura. She's so much fun. And she's like, I love this service. My husband wants to cancel it because he wants to save money. But it's like, they, so they own the firm together. Uh, she's like, I get to hang out with my kids. I get to go play golf. I can go have lunch. That's why I became a lawyer. I wanted money and freedom. Why would I not want to go do that? I love this idea that you don't have to just drive yourself into the ground. Even if you love being a lawyer, right? There are There is still this intrinsic built-in workaholism into the practice of law. And if you've conquered it, then uh, then great. But that I, I think we can all agree that it is very prevalent in, in the profession. So I wanna ask you, because obviously you work with a lot of lawyers who have needed to make changes over the years, what have been some of the most noteworthy changes that, that you've had to help your clients face? And what do lawyers need in order to adapt to those changes? I guess one of the most noteworthy was a client who came to me. She was making a ton of money working for a big firm, but she was pretty miserable. And I did an assessment on her that showed she was, well, the highest you can be in altruism is 100%. And she was 100%, which means wow. that she really cared deeply about helping the less fortunate, caring to the needs of the world, making it a better place, helping others. And she was working in, as, an, as, as an employment lawyer in a big firm, kind of doing the opposite. I mean, she wasn't looking out for the little guy. So she was in complete misalignment in terms of what her values were and what she was doing every day. And she told me that the thing that she would really love to do was to go work for a, a nonprofit legal aid agency. And we talked about why she wouldn't do that. And the reasons were, well, she spent so much on law school. Well, is there debt? No. She feels that she should make as much money as she can. Well, why? How much do you need? And so question by question, we got, she got to the point where she realized that all of the reasons she was hanging on to the job were societal, you know, parents thinking she should do it. Her husband was fine with her doing nonprofit work. They had enough, he made enough money for this change to, to be, to be feasible. So she did it. She quit her big law firm job and took a job in a, in a legal aid organization. And it completely changed her life, obviously. Now, every single day, she is in her values, altruism. I feel pretty good about that. I love that. And so my wife, uh, when I met her, worked in television. She hated it. And, and because she was in such a big corporation, she never got the recognition. Uh, so I won't name names, but uh, what she was doing was scheduling commercials. Right. And they had four people scheduling commercials. And I think there were like 15 assignments. The senior guy had three. The other two people had two each and my wife had the rest. So she was like the lowest paid, but the most relied upon hated that job. And I was so proud of her because she 
she she went up she went out and did the the thing you know she found a job that made her happy and uh that's great and when that job you know when things happen there uh i'll never forget i said to her i was like if you quit your job i will buy you a new car and she started laughing she's like that doesn't make any sense we would have less money and i was like yeah <laughs> but you would be happier and so this is my incentive i'll buy you a new if you want to you know what i'm saying um, she ended up quitting the job. She didn't want the new car. So I got away. I got double, right? I got happy wife and I didn't have to buy her a car. Love uh, that. So what are some of the most important lessons that you hope attorneys take away from listening to your story and hearing you talk about your personal legal journey? I would say it's just one. You can have a great career in the law if you spend time figuring out what's important to you. And you don't have to stay doing anything that you don't like. The ball is literally in your own court, no matter what anybody says to you about it. If our audience is interested in connecting with you further or learning more or, or just getting more of what you have to offer, how can they do so? Where can they go? Lay it on me. <laughs> I'm Dina Lefkowitz on LinkedIn. I'm there a lot. I post almost every day. My website is achievementbydesign.com. And there's a reason for, for that name. Achievement doesn't happen by default, only by design. So it's achievementbydesign.com. And my book is available on amazon.com. It's called Winning in Your Own Court. Uh, I'm going to provide links to every way that you can contact Dina. Um, including the website, including the book, um, whatever she'll allow me to post publicly, I will put there. Um, but Dina, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Uh, what an incredible conversation, seriously. Um, thank you. I loved it. It was fabulous on my end too. You're fabulous. Uh, you're fabulous. Oh, thank you. Uh, so thank you to all of our listeners. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. We will be back with another episode of Everything Except the Law soon. So be sure to check out previous episodes of our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and the Answer and Legal YouTube channel. Like I mentioned before, links to everything covered in today's conversation can be found in the description below. We hope to see you next time, everyone.